0: Uh, I wanted to begin a series today, uh, which I entitled The Sanctity of Shabbos. Uh, In the flyer and in the text that went out, I specifically didn't say how many parts the series will be, because I didn't decide. Uh, In part, it'll be maybe uh, feedback. We'll see. Uh, Usually, we've never done longer than a three-part series. Usually, they're two-part series. But obviously a topic as big as Shabbos, we could have an entire year and we still would maybe be like a quarter of the way done. So we won't do that, don't worry. Uh, I think the variety is a good thing. But I'm not sure yet how many uh, parts the series will be. But I would like it to be, as we have typically done whenever we've had a uh, multi-part series, uh, is to be a combination of Hashkafah and Halakha, uh, inspiration, philosophy, and on the one hand, as well as a practical guidance. So today's she'er is deliberately going to be the more philosophical, if you will, introduction about the spirit and meaning of Shabbos, and then uh, hopefully one or two, and who knows, maybe more shirim uh, can follow in future weeks uh, about the halachos of Shabbos. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if it was last year, I think it might have been two years ago, the first year we had this shir, uh we gave a, a two-part series on the laws of candles, And Shabbos candles and candle lighting, so that we will not repeat this year, but all those shurim are online, for anyone who wants to listen to those shurim about the halachos of candle lighting, but there are plenty of other halachos uh, that could take us a lifetime to learn uh, that are relevant to women and to men, Uh, and uh, we will at least pick some of them uh, over the next few weeks, uh, hopefully to have this unit now on the sanctity of Shabbos. So I'd like to begin actually with a source that has nothing to do per se uh, with Shabbos, but it's I think, relevant to the challenge of keeping Shabbos. If you were to ask me um, what is most difficult about truly keeping, observing, experiencing Shabbos, so I would say that probably depends. Uh, one could say it depends on someone who's newly observant to someone who's had a lifetime of observance. One could also say it may be the difference between an adult and a teenager. Uh, they definitely would give you different answers. Uh, but let's assume that we leave out the, the issue of age for a moment. Um, I think if you're new to Shabbos observance, so then just the halachos, you know, and all the things you can't do, um, which are, you take for granted, especially in the technological world in which we live in, uh, I'm sure must be very very difficult for somebody to get used to. Uh, the mitzvot are could be demanding, but you know, it's not so hard to light candles or, or to say Kiddush, and you know, it's certainly not that hard to have kugel. Uh, but you know, all the halachos that you never even heard of and knew about, you know, that, I'm sure that must be very, very difficult. I mean, I was born into a from home, so I didn't, never knew anything else. But someone who would come to observance, I'm sure that must have been very, very difficult. Uh, you know, nowadays you would say, how do you go 24 hours without the phone? Um, but even before there were cellular phones, I'm sure it was very, very difficult. However, for people who are, are either have been observant their whole lives or just for people who are, have already been observant for some, some length of time, um, I think we get into a pattern and, and the habit and uh, maybe even we see a little bit of the beauty of detaching, um, especially if we have children. They actually look at us at the table, and uh, perhaps, uh, at least when they're sitting, um, etc. That also depends on maybe the age of your children. But, um, but I think that there, paradoxically there is a, uh, a more subtle, but maybe even a more insidious or challenging um, issue. Uh, the longer one has been observant. The longer one uh, keeps Shabbos. Uh, And this is something that's not unique to Shabbos, but unique to religious life in general. And this I'd like to pick up with in source number one on the sheet. This is a letter that Rav Dessler wrote, if I'm not mistaken, I think he wrote it to his son. uh, And it's included in the fourth volume of Mechtama Eliyahu. And he quotes uh, some sources that have to do with habit. But the, the original sources that he's quoting are not relevant for us. But the punchline is, and he says as follows, this is the beginning of source number one. The var gadol lamad We see from this a very important principle. Hine haherger shanu mitraglim bedavar tov hu nechbad baod. Getting into ha- getting into good habits a var tov. Good habits is a very very important thing. After all, echaya efshar Adam lil hamidos Atovos tovos emlosh yitragel To take one example, right? If you didn't have good habits practiced over time, repeated over time. How would a person ever develop good midos? Right? Midos, uh, let's just take one example, uh, they're absolutely products of repetition, of becoming second nature, of becoming a part and parcel of who a person is. And therefore, it is almost obvious and really almost unnecessary to say that uh, that there's a really importance to having uh, there is an importance to having and developing good habits. But achain, there's also Yesh Hefseid Gadol Behergel. There's a flip side. Habit can also be dangerous. Habit can also be destructive. The more you get used to something, the more it becomes a habit, the less impact it makes on you. The first time you, ever, you do anything, it can have a huge impact on you. But the more you do it, slowly, 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 less and less and less until it can almost become second nature, which is another way of saying mindless says Rav Dessler, continuing into the second line, but if that is the case, and let me just kind of embellish, what he's really saying in essence then is, if that's true and we all know it to be the case, that is a massive, like it's hard to overstate how big a problem that is for religious Jews then. Right? Because we have, you know, we don't just go to synagogue once a whatever. We don't just do a few rituals once every whatever. Right? We have a life of mitzvos. Many of them are daily. Some of them are weekly. I, there's enormous amounts of repetition in any one year, let alone in a lifetime. And if habit can turn to rote, mindlessness and meaninglessness. So this is like a major problem for our entire religious life. And therefore, he says the big question. And I think, uh, however you would say, big and like bold. That's what he means. Big question. <inaudible> How can we, in essence, have the positive without the negative? How can we be consistent religious observant people, yet at the same time not be dragged down, not have the meaning sucked out of our religious life? I imagine it almost like a balloon, right, with a little bit of a pinprick. Right? Each time you do a mitzvah, a good deed, it's like another pinprick, and a little bit more air is going out of the balloon. And so there's nothing left. And you just got an empty balloon. And let's face it, there are people who are in our community, I don't mean literally our community, I mean the broader Orthodox community, who externally are very observant. And they're basically just one big deflated balloon. There's almost no meaning, no spirituality, just going through the motions. They're, they're a shell. They're almost like a robot. So this is the question. How can we avoid that problem? And it could be that there's other answers to the question, and it could be this is worth a sheer in its own right. But for our purposes, and to set the table, not only for today's year, but really for the next two or three weeks, of the series, Rav Dessler's answer intrigued me. He says here in the middle of that third line, in his answer, what is, in his uh, mind, in his way of thinking, what's the answer? Ha'iyun v'hitboninut. Heima asher yivatlu pulas <laughs> kehergel. Says Rav Dessler, he thinks, the more one studies, analyzes in depth, and has a greater understanding and knowledge of the things that you are doing, that can neutralize the deleterious and damaging effects of repetition. Because the truth of the matter is, this could be true in other areas of life, but it's definitely true in Torah. The more you learn, the more new things you'll find. It's not like reading the same book over and over again. Even the same book, like the Chumash. In Kriyasa Torah, every year we have like new things that we notice for the first time. But all the more so, in areas of halacha or Jewish life, where there's so much that I include myself, so much we don't even know. So it doesn't take long to learn new things. Not hard at all to learn new things. So Rav says, the more we learn, we'll find new things which will reinvigorate us and refresh us. Whether it's in practical halacha or in the spiritual meaning of the mitzvos. So the more you learn, the more you prepare, the more you anticipate... The more new, the more fresh, the more vibrant the experience will be. Now, Again, this is a, a template and a, uh, a cheat code, if you will, for all of life. But I think there are very few things in which this is more urgent for the religious Jew than for Shabbos. As I said, may, maybe davening like, needs it even more. But almost nothing else is as repeated and experienced as Shabbos. So if you get Shabbos right, is like the key to life. This constant you know, well that is watering and refreshing us every single week. I think someone once referred to Shabbos as an island in time. It just, it's an oasis. You know, that's <laughs> if you get Shabbos right. But if not, there's very few things we do as often as Shabbos. And because we do it so often, it is the most vulnerable to this problem of just going through the motions. How can we avoid it? How can we make Shabbos meaningful? So Cesar of Dessler, to do exactly what we're doing to actually, every now and then, not assume we know everything, because we don't, to actually study, to investigate, to learn more, whether it's about the meaning of Shabbos, the practical halachos of Shabbos, because the more new things we learn about it, the more we think about it in advance and prepare, then the newer and fresher the experience will be. So I think this is a very important insight that can be applied to many things, but I think it is particularly urgent and relevant when it comes to Shabbos, and it's with this in mind that we embark on this uh, this journey for the next few weeks. One of the people who spoke, I think, most eloquently about the topic of the, the meaning and the spiritual experience of Shabbos, not just the halakhos of Shabbos, um, is of Salvechik. I'm aware of at least three different droshos, or three different places in his written writings, which were mostly based on uh, oral presentations that have been written up, and I included all three of them uh, throughout the shir. Uh, And I think Rav very, very eloquently uh, addresses uh, what I'd like to kind of put before you as, so to speak, the the challenge and the thesis of our shir of what Shabbos should be. Um, And the first uh, source of his, at least, that I want to... Go to next, which is source number two on your page, um, is a very, very famous passage uh, in a very well-known hesped that he gave for his machatena. Salvechik's oldest daughter, who did not pass away that long ago, Tara, married the son of the Toldner Rebbe of Boston, the Turskis. And when his machatena passed away, his son-in-law's mother. So I think it was at the Shloshim, he gave a very, very public and lengthy Hesped, which was a tribute to his I guess they got along. <laughs> he gave a whole tribute about his Um But he used that as an opportunity not only to speak about her, but he actually used it as an opportunity to speak about the role of women in Judaism, which is why it's something that I've quoted in numerous Shurim over the years. Again, we're not going to reduce or summarize the entire... I think it's 11 printed pages of the Journal Tradition. Um, but one of the main and most powerful and most famous sections is the one you have before you in source number two. And even though he's making a wide-ranging, somewhat similar to Rav Dessler, he's making a wide-ranging insight about what he thinks is the unique role and contribution of women to Judaism, the most speci- specific example he gives to illustrate his broader point is none other than Shabbos. Uh, a perfect, perfect source for Arshir. So, before we get to the part about Shabbos, his broader point, which is in the opening two paragraphs that you have before you, is that he wants to suggest that there are two parallel traditions, or two parallel masoras in Yiddishkeit. One which is referred to as Musar Avicha, the other he refers to as Toras Imecha. And of course these two phrases are coming from the well-known Pasuk, in which these two phrases are juxtaposed. Musar Avicha, the teaching, or the Musar of your father, and the Torah Imecha, the Torah and teaching of your mother. And part of this drosha, this hespeh that he gave, was to try to understand, what does that mean? What is a Torah of your mother? What is a moser of your father? And his thesis is, that even though we're familiar, let's say from Perkei Avos, that there's a tradition, Moshe got the Torah, he gave it to Yeshua, Yeshua gave it to the elders, all the way down to the rabbis of our generation. He says that is true, that's a critical masora. That's the says of the fathers. But there is a equally important, but parallel, a Masora or tradition, and that is of what he calls the mothers. And again, obviously, he is speaking stereotypically. There can can and probably should be um, men who have some of the characteristics of a mother, and there certainly can and should be women who have the characteristics to some extent of a father. But speaking axiomatically or stereotypically, he says there is a, a difference. Really, every person, male and female, has to have some of both, but he thinks stereotypically they are personified respectively by mothers and fathers, men and women. So he says there on the top paragraph, uh, what does he think is the experience or the tradition, I should say, the Masorah of fathers? And he says, in the second line, it talks, the father hopefully is there to teach the children how to read a text, whether it's the Chumash or the Gemara, how to comprehend, how to analyze, how to conceptualize, how to classify, how to infer, how to apply. So you learn all these formal things, not only the textual skills, but even life skills. One also learns from Father what to do, what not to do, what's morally right, what's morally wrong. Father teaches us on discipline, of thought, and of action. The Father's tradition, he says, is intellectual moral. That's why it's identified with Musr, which is the biblical term for discipline. Okay? Again, I, again, I, again, I emphasize, this is stereotypical. That there can be women and mothers who play a role in this as well, but it's personified by the Father. Second paragraph, he says, so what is the Torah Simecha? What is the tradition of the mother? What is her unique stereotypical contribution? So he says something very interesting uh, and almost disarming at first. He says, it's harder to define. He says, really, he says, only kind of circumspection, so to speak, looking back. I could kind of explain it, he says, by using my experiences with my own mother, he says. I used to have long conversations with my mother, more of a monologue than a dialogue. She used to talk, and I happened to overhear. What did she talk about? She said, he says, if I could use a halachic term, she talked mein in di yomah. In other words, whatever was going on, whether it was a Shabbos issue, a yontif issue, something in the, she was talking about the religious life cycle of the Jewish people. I used to watch her, he says, arranging the house in honor of a holiday. I used to see her recite the prayers. I used to see her recite the sedra every Friday night. I still remember her nostalgic tune. I learned from her very much. And now comes the, the, the final paragraphs, which are really the punchline. Most of all, he says, I learned that Judaism expresses itself not only in formal compliance with the law, but also in a living experience. She taught me that there's a flavor, a scent, a warmth to mitzvot. I learned from her the most important thing in life, to feel the presence of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of His hand resting upon my frail shoulders. Without her teaching, which quite often were transmitted to me in silence, I would have grown up a soulless being, dry and insensitive. So some of you may have heard me quote this before, because it's one of, I think, one of the most important and beautiful, but more than beautiful, also important, um, statements of Yiddishkeit in the English language ever. It's really more poetry than prose, this paragraph. Um, and in essence, again, speaking stereotypically, he says there's one tradition personified by the fathers, which is more textual, more technical, more analytical. The what of Judaism, if you will, but the experience, the romance the vibrance, the vibrancy, the life, the pulsating experience of Judaism, because that is the tradition that he received from his mother, or what he thinks is, stereotypically, the role of women. And then he gives this incredible example, just to illustrate the point, and this brings us to our topic. The laws of Shabbos, for instance, were passed on to me by my father. They are part of Musravicha. So again, the halachos of Shabbos are equally applicable to men and women, so men and women need to know them. But he said, and I think this may actually be you know, true in most of our families, that all those halachos, you know, how do I cook, how do I cut this, what is bow rare? I can turn on this, I can't turn this, I can adjust the Shabbos clock, what happens if the lights go out, can I ask? All the halachos, the innumerable complex halachos of Shabbos, said to Soloveitchik in his personal experience, he learned them from his father. He learned them from his father. However, he says, The Shabbos as a living entity, as a queen, was revealed to me by my mother. It is part of Torah Simecha. The fathers knew much about the Shabbos. The mothers lived the Shabbos, experienced her presence, and perceived her beauty and splendor. The fathers taught generations how to observe the Shabbos. Mothers taught generations how to greet the Shabbos and how to enjoy her 24-hour presence. Really, I've read this, I don't know how many tens of times in my life. It takes my breath away each time. You will rarely find something this beautiful and this profound. And I think it's not about which is more important. You would be half a Jew without either of them. You can't be a Jew without halachic observance, but his point, which is maybe more necessary than the first one, is that halachic observance is the floor, not the ceiling. It's the bare minimum, but it's not what we're aspiring to as a goal. He aspired something much more than just technical compliance with the halacha. It's not, as he said, if all I had was the halacha, I'd be a dry, soulless being. I don't think anyone wants it to be that. Rather, we need to have, what again he says is personified by the role of women, um, is the experience of halacha, of Jewish life, Yiddishkeit, and specifically of Shabbos, this idea of experiencing the Shabbos, of living the Shabbos, of being excited for the Shabbos, um, her beauty, the Shabbos queen, and all that that means, the flavor, the scent, as he put it, the warmth of Shabbos, a feeling Hashem in Shabbos. So that is equally important, if not more so. And therefore, that's really what I want to be speaking about today, which is, even if we speak in future weeks, about the halachos of Shabbos, which are critically important, but... (laughs) Again, this is an important role for men too. Men can't be dry souls beings either. Uh, but certainly for women, not only for yourselves, but in your role as mothers and grandmothers and leaders of your family, So this is an important role, an uh, important insight to appreciate, not only for yourselves, but also in terms of setting a tone in your family and for your home and for your children and grandchildren, is that it's not enough just to know how to warm up food on Shabbos. That's the bare minimum. That's not the goal goal is to really truly experience Shabbos, and that's what I want to speak a bit about for the rest of today's year. So if you take a look at Sources 3 and 4, this is a very, very intriguing idea, a little bit complex, but I have confidence in you. We can do this. I also have confidence in myself. I can explain it. Um, but I think we can get through, and I think it's an important one. Um The Medrash, you may be familiar with this Medrash, and this Medrash is not complicated, it's actually beautiful, so if you're not familiar with it, I'm very happy to expose you to it. The Medrash says in source number three that, again, obviously speaking very metaphorically, says the Medrash in the beginning of creation, Shabbos, as it were, Shabbos complained to God. How many days in the week? Seven, there's an odd number. So said Shabbos all of the other days of the week, have a spouse. Have a ben zug. But I'm left out. I have no partner. I'm all alone. It's not fair. That's the Medrash says. So says the Medrash at the end of the, of the first line, source number three, baruchu, yisrael hi ben Don't worry, you're not alone. You're not going to be an old single. I'll marry you off. Talk to the Jewish people. The Jewish people will be your ben Zug. Beautiful idea, even just the metaphor. It's very intriguing. It catches our attention. question is, what does it mean? What does this mean to say we're married to Shabbos? Shabbos is our spouse. Shabbos was alone until the Jewish people were created. What does that mean? was it, it? clearly something profound is trying to be communicated. So we have to figure out what that means. So, the Villanagone... In source number four, this is where it gets slightly more complicated, the Vilna Gaon says something really remarkable and very novel. If I were to ask any of you now, when the Medrash said that all of the first six days, they have a partner, they're not alone, they have their Ben Zug, so which days went with which? What would you assume? And so the simplest intuitive way of understanding the Medrash is, Sunday goes with, and Tuesday goes with Wednesday, and Thursday goes with Friday, and then Shabbos is left out. One, two, three, four, five, six, and then seven is all alone. So the Vilna Gon says, much more complex. Not at all. Rather, he says, look where it's underlined, Yom Aleph Vidalid. Day one and day four, Sunday and Wednesday, are a couple. Why? Because on Sunday, going back to creation, what was created? Light. Some kind of primordial light, we don't know exactly what it was. But it wasn't until Wednesday that the moon and the stars and something were created. So light didn't really reach its full expression until Wednesday. So day one goes with day four, says the Vilna Yom Yombet the Hay. And that refers to Mayim. What is that referring to? Because on Monday, the second day of creation, the upper waters and the lower waters, again, we don't even really know what that means. Alharakiya, Takalarakiya, they were separated. But it wasn't until day five when the fish are created, when you have actually now a purpose to the water. And finally, he says, Yom Gimel v'yom Yom Vav, Eretz. Is that referring to? So we know that on day three, the waters are, so to speak, receded a little bit to make room for landmass. But then it's only in day six when Adam and animals are created. So, that now there's something to inhabit the land. And now you have Shabbos, Ein Shabbos ben Zug Ella, Yisrael. So, I saw in a very nice book written by someone named Rabbi Baruch Leff. He's an educator from uh, Baltimore. I've known him for a number of years. He published two or three volumes, I'm not sure how many he published on on the sanctity of Shabbos. And he is your uncle, that is correct. I didn't know that until the recent Bar Mitzvah. Uh, but I realized, I, your mom said that that was her brother. I couldn't believe it. I'm really upset he didn't come to the Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> but you could tell him that I quoted him. Um, so in, uh, in one of his books that I have uh, on Shabbos, if he wants to give me the other ones, I'm happy to take them. <laughs> but I did buy one. Um, so he actually quotes that once he was walking with Rav Aaron Feldman, the Rosh Hashiva of Ner Yisrael, and he said that Aaron Feldman taught him this Vilna Lagoon, and he explained what it meant in a very, very beautiful way. He says, what is, what is the Vilna Lagoon teaching us? It's not just this game, it's a one and two, you know, pairs, even, odd, you know, one man out, Shabbos. And what does that mean? He says, what's really going on, according to the Villain is that, what does it mean, this is, by the way, a profound meditation on marriage. What does it mean that each day had a benzu, had a spouse? So what you see from this medrash, I mean, the way that Vilna nagona understands the medrash, I should say, is that the idea of a spouse is something that brings something to its potential, to its fruition, to its ultimate purpose. So there's no purpose of water unless there's going to be the fish. There's no purpose of land unless there's going to be the humankind or animals. A benzug or a batzug is the one who completes you, is the one who helps you reach your potential. So as if that's the case... Which is already worth the price of admission, that insight. He says, now you understand. Shabbos was created with some innate spiritual potential. It was the holiest of all days. It's Tchilal Mikre Kodesh. It's the source of all holiness. And so, all holy time or derivatives of Shabbos. And yet, if there would be no one to observe the Shabbos, to experience, to actualize that Kedusha, It'll be late. It'll be like water without fish. An empty landmass. Right? What's the difference between a house and a home? The people inside of it. Right? It's just a building if there's no one inside of it. It's a shell. Only becomes a home when there's someone inside of it living. Family making a life. Shabbos without it, the experience the people living the Shabbos on some metaphysical level there's all sorts of kedushah. Big whoop. Who cares? doesn't do anything for anybody. Shabbos only becomes real. Shabbos only becomes actualized when we observe the Shabbos and we experience the Shabbos. There's a huge potential for us, but also a huge responsibility. If we mind I'm not talking about God forbid someone who's machal Shabbos, this is not even part of the discussion. I think if we just mindlessly go through the experience, robotically, mechanically. So not only is it a wasted, hugely wasted opportunity for us, but we, in a certain sense, have created a cosmic sin. We've stripped Shabbos of its meaning. We've let Shabbos down. Shabbos is counting on us to bring it to fruition, to create, so to speak, to complete it, to make it realize uh, its potential. And I think that this is perhaps what is meant by a somewhat enigmatic riddle uh, that is quoted in source number five um, by the Nasivo Shalom, the famous sefer of the Slonim Rebbe. So I'm not sure how many of you daven Nesosfarid, or your husbands daven Nesosfarid, or you go to a Nesosfarid shul, which would not be kilad But if you daven Nesosfarid, so on Friday night there is a custom to say in davening by Kabbal Shabbos a paragraph of. Oh, I forgot something. Oh gosh, I almost forgot something. I'll go back in a second. So Rav Aaron Feldman added, he added something very beautiful. This, hopefully, you all dab on Friday night. <coughs> L We all love it, it's everyone's highlight. Beautiful. Especially if you're in a beautiful singing. You ever notice something? And if you didn't, take a notice this Friday night. The first two stanzas of La talk about Shabbos. The rest have nothing to do with Shabbos. It's a total enigma. After Mikdash Mel, everything is about Yerushalayim and Geulah and the future. Just the beginning of like Yerushalayim. What's it doing in the middle of the, the Friday night? Most has only to do with Shabbos. So Havar and Feldman added, based on this idea of the Grah, that that is the idea as well, which is that, yes, Shabbos is the ultimate goal of the week, but the goal of life is to get, hopefully, to the Geulah. And by, if we'll actually use Shabbos appropriately as a spiritual turbo-boost, and recharge every week, then we get ourselves closer to the geula. If we miss the opportunity and waste Shabbos, so not only are we wasting the opportunity for ourselves, not only are we robbing Shabbos of its meaning, but we're that much further away from a geula, because Shabbos is ultimately, haba, Shabbos is what will hopefully get us there. Okay, that was the, the that, that second piece. The third piece I wanted to mention, which I think is very similar, um, is from the Nasiva Shalom, source number five. So the Zohar... Uh, which is included in, again, the, Sidurim, the people say on Friday night, has an enigmatic line. It sounds like a riddle. Source number five. Raza de Shabbos, Ihi Shabbos. The secret of Shabbos is Shabbos. Now the truth is, this is abbreviated, because if you continue reading the Zohar, it then lists all sorts of things. So it sounds like it's really supposed to be read in the simple understanding is, the secret of Shabbos, In Shabbos, you do X, Y, and Z. However, the way the Nesiva Shalom, he's quoting from some earlier Hasidic Rebbe, who I I can't say i ever heard of, um, he has a different interpretation. Now, as you may be familiar with, Hasidim, I'm speaking very stereotypically now, often are more interested in gematrias than other people are. But more than that, the big Rebbes, they have a different kind of math than we do. Now I admit that a lot of times I don't get it because let's just say if I had grown up in Israel I wouldn't have been doing five jichidot. The Gottliebs are handicapped when it comes to math. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the few people who is worse than math than me is my wife. Our kids had no chance. But our tutors have done very well all four times. Uh, and the second that they finish high school my kids have no interest in seeing any math anymore which is exactly what their father and their mother did. Um, but even if, even simple math so sometimes the rebbe's, you know, play around a little bit with the numbers, you know, by the power vested in me as a rebbe, you know. And they, <laughs> so here's an example of this. I think I might, unless I'm missing something. So he says here, this Zohar says the roz of the Shabbos is Shabbos. What does that mean? So he says there, right there, three words right after that. Roz Reish Zion is Gematria or. Now the problem is it's not. What right, roz Re- Reish is two hundred. Zion is seven, so Ruz is two hundred and seven. What is Or? So Reish again is two hundred. Oh, it is right. No, it is two hundred seven. Oh, excellent! You see how bad I am at math. In all fairness to myself, this is only this is not even the first embarrassing mistake I made today. I was giving the brachos at a bris this morning and I made a mistake now the, the sitter the, the mole gave me was a little bit convoluted and he apologized but I said the honest truth is I got barely three and a half hours of sleep last night and I see that it, in my younger years I could handle it apparently I'm not so young anymore so this is 207 okay my bad I don't know I was looking at it this morning going wow the rabbis make up numbers no it's not 207 yeah but he didn't yeah but he left off the olive so maybe that's why I got confused yeah he left off the olive okay so maybe I'm. A, yeah but the way he wrote it and this is not a typo this is the way that it's printed in the book Okay, so if we play, if we move, you, know, you move around the aleph. It's like we're we're rounding down. You can round in Gematras if you're a rebbe. So he says here, what does that mean? That the secret of Shabbos is or is light. Even if you keep all the halachos and the chumros, shebe Shabbos. But you don't feel any of the experience and the emotion, the passion of Shabbos. If you're walking in darkness as it were. You're missing the whole essence. Which is the pasuk from the In other words, what is he saying? Again, it's like a rizzle. What's the secret of Shabbos? Shabbos. It's the Shabbos itself, meaning it's the intangible. He's not talking about or like the candles. He means the experience of the metaphoric light of Shabbos. What's the secret of Shabbos? Shabbos. Now what I think he's getting at, and I think it is so so profound, um, and it actually it only dawned on me this morning, it actually works nicely, even though he didn't quote it with the medrash before about Ben zug, you know, your spouse, is that, Judaism in general, and certainly Shabbos in specific, it, there's a lot of stuff. There's the actual mix of stuff like Kiddush and davening and Laning and Candles and that. And then there's all the other stuff. There's Kogel and there's Cholent and youth groups and all the different things that make up our Shabbos drinks. It is so easy to lose sight of the forest for the proverbial trees and to get caught up in thinking that it's those things which make up Shabbos. And what he's trying to suggest is that the, those things create a structure, but they're not Shabbos. What's Shabbos? Shabbos is Shabbos. Now, what I think he's really trying to get at is something, if I can even go back to what I had said, I gave an example of a Balchuva before, before, somebody who's new to observance. If you try to explain to somebody who's never kept a Shabbos what Shabbos is like, you can describe certain things. And it will, for better or for worse, it will pale in comparison. Right? You can't really understand Shabbos unless you do what? You have to experience Shabbos. If someone never experienced Shabbos, it would be akin to if someone who never in their whole life tasted an apple. And they asked me, what do apples taste like? I said, well, there's certain kinds. They're red. Okay, I know what red means. That helps me. They're crunchy. Uh, they can be Sweet juicy, that could be described as a pickle. I mean, the words mean nothing. Once you know, once you've had apples, so then if you say to me, what kind of apple is this? And I say, it's a sweet apple, right away you know what I'm talking about. It's a soft apple, it's a crunchy apple, it's a hard apple, because there's a context you've experienced it. If you've never experienced it, the words are meaningless. You have to, you have to truly live Shabbos. What's the secret of Shabbos? Shabbos is Shabbos. There's something you can't touch, you can't feel. It's not the stuff of Shabbos. It's Shabbos. Now, I'm adding, and, and I shouldn't say I'm adding, Really, he was, he was alluding to this too. You could go through Shabbos hiding behind the stuff. Just focusing on the stuff. And have no experience of Shabbos. But then, you, as he said it, you've missed the point. And you wouldn't necessarily think of the Na'siba Shalom and of Salvechik in the same breath, but that's exactly what Salvechik was saying. Without his mother... He, wouldn't have had a, he would have had all the stuff of Shabbos, the do's and the don'ts, but he wouldn't have had Shabbos. You can have the stuff of Shabbos without Shabbos. And as I say, it struck me earlier this morning that this is works very nicely with the Medrash. Because if I if somebody had a has a has or had a happy, loving marriage, you ask them 40 years later, 50 years later, to describe his or her spouse. So like could give you a list, you know, as if it was like the Shadchan all those years ago explaining. You know, he is smart, he is funny, he is caring, he is da-da-da, the, 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 right? Which could mean anybody. If you actually love a person, those things may all be true, but they're all beside... They don't explain... That's not. They're not the person. I love her because she's her. Well, it, what is she? Well, I can list you all those things, but that doesn't do it justice. That's not really... It, it just... Rosa, the my wife, is my wife. She is. She has a 20 attributes that are wonderful. But that's not her. That's not him. So I think thinking of Shabbos as a, as a spouse, as a partner, really is very, very deep. Right? There, are all, there are all the things. I, he takes out the garbage. I do the homework. He does the carpool. I do, right? There are all the things. But that's not marriage. It's parts of marriage. but it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the ruz of the marriage. You can't put your finger on what the ruz of the marriage is. Either you have it or you don't have it. And just like there are people who go through their whole lives observing every halacha of Shabbos and don't have Shabbos, they have the things of Shabbos, but not Shabbos. There are people who go through their whole lives with all of the checklists. The carpools are always done, the garbage is always taken out, the shopping is always done, the house is always... Everything's done. But they don't have a marriage. They have an arrangement. They have a partnership, maybe. They do stuff. They have things. But not marriage. Raza to, to marriage is marriage. Raza to my spouse is my spouse. I can't... Those, the list of things, crunchy apple. they don't mean... They could mean anything. That's not the essence. So what we're trying to get at every week is not just the do's and the don'ts of Shabbos, as important as those are. So we're going to spend the f- future weeks on that. But we can't miss the essence of Shabbos something that I've kind of alluded to already, but I just want to emphasize in, in a slightly different context, is uh, brought out in source number six. Um, this is a, I think we, there may have been previous Shomer who have used this sefer, Leket Sichos Muser. This is a collection, a three-part set, not written by your uncle, sorry. Uh, uh, written by Yitzhak like Isaac Sher, uh, who was a great gadol in Lithuania, who actually emigrated to Israel in time, so he wasn't caught up in the Shoah. He was the son-in-law of the altar of Slobodka. And he was actually the one who brought Slobodka originally to Chevron, And then there was the massacre in 1929, they moved to Yerushalayim, and then there's... A, so Chevron in Yerushalayim, that famous yeshiva, is a branch, at least originally, of Slobodka. And then he moved to Bnei Brak, and there's actually Adah Mazel, a yeshiva Slobodka. In Bnei Brak, this is Isaac Isaac share. I can't remember exactly what year he died, but he lived He lived into the founding of the state, um, originally, but originally from Lithuania. So in his work, Lagat Silchus Moser, he is discussing an interesting uh, anomaly calendarically, which happens every few years, which is when Shabbos comes on Tishabov. Or should I say Tishabov comes on Shabbos? You see, three and a half hours of sleep. I can't do it like I used to. Um, when Sha- when, when Tishabbos falls on Shabbos, so when do we fast? On Sunday. So he's discussing the deeper spiritual message that that's supposed to involve. What does that imply? So he explains the reason that we can't fast or observe Tisha B'Av on Shabbos, as he says on the first line, isn't just because technically speaking the halachos of Tisha B'Av contradict the halachos of Shabbos. The do's and the don'ts of Tisha B'Av contradict the do's and the don'ts of Shabbos. And Shabbos is a bigger muscle, so it wins the arm wrestle, and now Shabbos pushes off Tisha B'Av. It's true, but that's not all it is. rather second line. El shakal Saar Allah ala chorban. mamish. Now, this is important to, to file away in your Tishbav uh, folder, um, right? We're not supposed to just go through Sh- Tishbav either, right? Most people spend Tishbav if they're not looking at the computer screen, um, then looking at their watch. Right? It's the countdown, um, but obviously that's not really the intention of Tisha B'av, right? If you're really connecting with Tishbav, then you feel a tremendous loss. That's the anniversary of the death, if you will, of the Beis Hamikdash, like losing a loved one, and that experience of, of sorrow, of pain. Should characterize our Tisha B'Av experience. That experience is incompatible, he says, with Shabbos. And he explains in a very, you know very profound way, which is maybe to some extent beyond us. But I think even on our level, we can get what he's driving at. He says on that second and third line that Shabbos is supposed to be. I mentioned before I used a metaphor of like an, an oasis in time. So he says maybe even more powerfully, very beautifully, Shabbos is like a temple in time. It's a base of migdash, not of bricks and mortar, it's a base of migdash of time. What does that mean? So I think what he's getting at so beautifully is that, again, none of us uh, can really understand the base of migdash, we never experienced it, but the idea of the base of migdash, as we can imagine, it was a place to go, to rendezvous with Hashem, to feel that Hashem is here and there and everywhere, Uncle she said it, it has to be true, but whatever this means, just like we even feel it, there's a little bit more of Hashem, so to speak, by the Kotel. There's not even a base of there, it's just a harabais. So, all the worse so when there was the actual base of and all the miracles that were taking place there, there was a more intensive, manifest experience of Hashem there. So, you go to the base of as an average man or woman, you're going there to connect, to rendezvous, to feel Hashem's presence. So, it says Jesus, Isaac, Shear. Sure, you don't have to wait for the base of Every Shabbos, you have an opportunity to experience Me'in, the of HaMekdash. Because Shabbos is that. Shabbos is supposed to be, so to speak, a temple in time. 24, 25 hour period, where you can also take a step back and reconnect and feel more of Hashem's presence. Kol HaShomer, Shabbos, he says in the middle, Kadasu Kadin, Mit'anei Bokaraoi. You can really get closer to Hashem through Shabbos. And he says, in that sense, every positive Shabbos experience, in a certain sense, is like building the Beis HaMikdash. It's feeling as if the Beis HaMikdash is as if it's built. And in that sense, there is a, there's a unique spiritual opportunity on Shabbos. And therefore, he says, if you look at the last three lines, we see from this halacha, which you could see is just a very technical halacha that only applies once every few years, the Tisha is pushed off on Shabbos. But we actually see something much more profound, which is not only relevant every few years; it's relevant every single week of our lives. We learn from this halacha Magodel Erika Shal We can understand and appreciate the value of Shabbos. If you truly experience Shabbos. In a certain sense, in your in the you know, in your own heart, you've rebuilt the HaMikdash You've experienced what we're all longing for. By experiencing Shabbos, you can experience the rendezvous and the closeness with Hashem, the intimacy with Hashem that the whole Beit HaMikdash is for. is a khurban, it's not a khurban for you. El <speaking in Hebrew> So it can't be, says again, he's speaking very idealistically. <laughs> if we truly experience Shabbos, if we truly experience Tishabov, then they're an absolute contradiction. If we're just automatons who just do the what and the, the things of Shabbos and the what's and the things of Tishabav, so on a very technical, low level, there's a contradiction. Shabbos makes Kiddush and challah and you can't do that on Tisha B'Av. But he says it's actually much more profound. Shabbos is about rebuilding the base of Middash in your heart. Rebuilding your connection to Aqara Smark, which is the whole purpose. So you think the purpose of the base of Middash is the carbon? The purpose of the base of Middash is the gold, the silk, the curtains? That's the purpose of the base of Middash? It's not the carbon. It's not the animals. It's not the blood. The purpose of the basic Megdash is the connection to Hashem. But that's exactly what the purpose of Shabbos is. And we still have that. We can have that. So, how could I celebrate and reconnect and rendezvous with Hashem while I am commemorating the destruction of not being near Hashem? That is the deeper co- contradiction, he says. So, again, the Tishabav thing is not important for us per se, but the larger point is, of course, very relevant to us on a weekly basis. And in source number seven, Rav Pam, Zatzal of Torvadas, quotes a beautiful uh, insight from the Chavetz Chaim. I'm not sure how many of you uh, sing this song in your homes on Shabbos, but we know there is a song that is popular, a lot of people do sing, Kal karo ilo. I will not sing it for you. Um, but in this beautiful song of there's also a line which doesn't seem to make any sense. It's it's kind of a riddle, that opening line. Kal Shavii, Karo ilo. Someone who sanctifies the seventh day as it should be. Shabbos kados. Mechalolo, someone who observes Shabbos appropriately and is not mechalot. Socharo harbe Alpipolo. al He gets great reward based on his actions. Seems to be very repetitious. A little confusing. Says that the Chavetz Chaim explains something so beautifully, and it fits exactly with everything we've been talking about today. That there's really two types, he says, of Shmir Shabbos. There's two types of being a Shomer Shabbos. Echad Hashomer Shabbos um, one example is of a person who doesn't do any of the technical violations, doesn't do any of the 39 malachos. Not even a durabona, no muksa, nothing. Such a person is shomer shabbos Kedos machalolo. A person who's technically observed shabbos, he wasn't machalot. He's gonna get reward for this. No question about it. But he says on the third to last line, there's a level that's even higher than that. And that's the second phrase in the song. Makadosh Shevi'i, Just doing it, kados Machalolo. Just observing the technicalities of Shabbos. Every single thing, you know exactly how to eat up the food, you know exactly how, yes, to tie your shoes, not to tie your shoes, you know how to make the tuna fish, not make the tuna fish, how to put away the silverware, the games, all of those halachas, when to call the rabbi, when not to call the rabbi, when to call sala, when not to call salah. you can turn on the light, all, whatever, all the things, you know you do it perfectly. That's Kadasma Chalelo. And yet, apparently, you see from this song, you haven't yet got to Karo'ilo. That's still short of the ultimate goal of what it's supposed to be. Karo'ilo. What is that? Truly experiencing Shabbos. That rendezvous with Hashem, that connection to the Shabbos Queen, what Solveitchik said he got from his mother to truly live and experience Shabbos. Now, now it. it's not instead of the Halachos. There's no half Shabbos. But if you have the structure and the discipline that's provided by keeping the Halachos, which is, as he says, deserving of great reward, then you can hopefully fill that structure with the ultimate goal, which is Karo'ilo, of feeling Hashem's presence and having that spiritual... Rendezvous with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says, in that case, that is truly the what you get reward for. Someone who just doesn't do. I didn't turn on my phone, I didn't this, I didn't that. That's wonderful, and especially for someone who it's hard for, so then you deserve the reward. But it's not the goal. goal is the Karoilo, the true experience of Shabbos. And I want to conclude with two more points, because if this is true, if we really, really, really look forward, experience Shabbos, not just as do's and don'ts, not even just of Cholent and Kogel, eggs and onions, and whatever the traditional foods are in your family, but we truly, truly experience the rendezvous and the spiritual experience and reinvigoration of Shabbos, so then that will present, I think, two... Uh, experiences, one on the front end and one on the back end. On the front end, this is an insight which our Salvechik suggests beautifully and very famously actually in source number 9, and it actually echoes something that was said way earlier uh, in a very beautiful insight by the Orachayim HaKadosh in source number 8. Right? We know that there is an idea of being a Shomer Shabbos. Right? What does that mean to be Shomer Shabbos? Which is a, a Conjugation of the posok itself, which talks about Shemar es Shabbos Show and Shemir Shabbos, so says the Orachaim of source number eight. It's connected to the famous Posuk about Yaakov and Yosef when the brothers were wrangling. Right, it's in the Vayeshev, if I remember correctly. But again, my three and a half hours sleep, I am not remembering anything well today. But I think it's Vayeshev, right? So it says very intriguingly, the Aviv Shemar es Yaakov was aware that the kids were fighting brothers were fighting, and he was shamar asadavar. What is shamar? So Rashi explains mitzape. He could already anticipate this is going to lead to something. He was aware that whatever was happening now wasn't going to just stay where it was. Aviv shamar asadavar. Rashi says he, he is anticipating something's going to happen. So the Orachaim very brilliantly and creatively, says that's what it means to be a shomer Shabbos. In the same way shamar asadavar means mitzape. Anticipate. It says real Shmir Shabbos does not take place on Shabbos, but before, in a sense. That's what Shabbos is. The real Kavan is. Shabbos isn't something to be dreaded, or even not as bad, but we fall into it accidentally. Like that happens with Yom and Tovim, right? I can't believe it's Purim. I can't believe Pesach in a week. <gasps> Rosh Hashanah is coming. We, we fall into it. And the only thing worse than that would be to actually dread it. So says the Orchai, no, no, Shabbos is, to be a Shomer Shabbos means you're excited. It's a countdown. You're anticipating it. You're looking forward to it. Because it's a thrilling experience. It's a rendezvous. So Ruf Salvechik, without making this exact point, but makes the same idea when he was lamenting again about his generation in America. We know that the Gedolim and the rabbis of the first generation after the Holocaust, the big war, they had the rage. Institutionally, this could be, this was true in other countries too, but um, Ruf Salvechik was speaking about his experience in America, was on Shmir Shabbos. Not just that people should keep the Shabbos, but that that should be the standard. What it means to be an Orthodox Jew is to keep Shabbos. And we know it was not an easy thing at all, right? Don't come to work on Saturday, don't come to work on Monday. So many waged that war, and many, whether it was Ruderman in Baltimore, Solveig in Boston, or other places, they were successful. When I mean successful, I don't mean that all of a sudden everyone became Orthodox. But enough people remained committed, and the definition of Orthodox and committed was you didn't go to work. So Ruf Salvechik here, I don't know exactly what year this Drusher was given, but he talked about how, thankfully now we have Shomer Shabbos Jews in America, he says. We have Shomer Shabbos Jews. But we don't have, you know he says? We don't have Arab Shabbos Jews. And what he means by Arab Shabbos Jews is exactly what the Ur-Chayim was saying in his own words. We don't have people who are looking forward to Shabbos, who are excited for Shabbos, who are breathlessly anticipating Shabbos. He says, that we don't have. Many observe, he says so beautifully, Many observe the precepts with their hands, their feet, and were with their mouths. But there are very few indeed who truly know the meaning and the service of the heart. Again, this of course not only works with this orachaim, it works with the Rav salvation we saw at the beginning of the shir. That you could say that about many halachos. Of goes through the motions, the technicalities, just the father's religion, without the mother's, without the, the life, the, ver- the vibrancy, as he called it, the warmth. The scent of religious experience. So that's certainly true about Shabbos. And one of the, so to speak, nafkaminas is not just that your Shabbos will be different if you have this, your Arab Shabbos will be different. Are you excited for Shabbos? And last but not least, in source number 10, also a super famous, one of my favorite quotes, he talks about before he emigrated, when he used to live in Warsaw, he used to go to a ch- ch- chassirische shtibel, he'd try to get there for ma- to get a marav minyan. It was a magister shtibel. The magisters, as you may know, are famous for singing and said so he would get there and they were singing and singing and singing and it was past the time So said he it says here he, he once asked like a person he knew from his community knew or when are they marif? to which the person responded to him is there enough there's not enough weekday for you you're in such a rush for Shabbos to end and he says so beautifully he says I realized then they weren't just singing because they loved to sing they were singing because they didn't want Shabbos to end So he doesn't use this phraseology, but what he's really saying is, there's also a Matze Shabbos Jew. I don't mean because you're looking forward to the pizza. That's exactly the opposite of what he's talking about. But if you truly love Shabbos, if the Shabbos queen is actually present in your home, so just like you're excited when Bubby and Zadie or Grandma and Grandpa or the grandkids or the kids come and visit, and you're excited and you clean the house and you get ready and everyone's excited because the guests are coming... And if you know that the guests are leaving the kids are going back home the grandparents are going back home right after Shabbos you're dreading who wants to run the Havdalah if that means that the kids or the grandkids or the Bubby and the Zadi are leaving. So you want it so similarly if you really love Shabbos if Shabbos is really present that impacts as you become an Arab Shabbos Jew too you also become a Motsi Shabbos Jew mean, you're extending you want, it, you want it to come as early as possible and you want it to last as long as possible. Right? Who wants those magical family moments to end? Every Shabbos can be that. Is it easy? Of course not. Which is why we start off with the piece from Rev Dessler. The more frequently you do something, the less special it feels. Of course. So it takes work. And the more we learn about Shabbos and the more new things we learn about Shabbos, we can bring something new. You think you knew everything about Shabbos. Trust me, you don't. I don't know everything about Shabbos. I don't think you do either. The more we learn, then we can add newness and freshness to it so that we can actually have this. Not as a countdown to when we can do something fun the Shabbos. Shabbos is going to end. So excited, Shabbos is coming. So I think that not only if we have this attitude, will it change our Shabbos? or salvation is suggesting it can change our Fridays. That happens to be, the Arab Shabbos Jew is a little bit easier in Israel than it is anywhere else. Because Fridays for most people, not everyone, for Fridays for some people it's not a work day. You do have a sense in Israel that there's Shabbos is coming. The siren, uh, which is a little different meaning in the last few months. Um, but the music, you do have that a little bit here. I think that's actually one of the benefits of being in Israel, honestly. Uh, but still, you can, me- you can mechanize that too. You can ruin that one too. It's like the first time you hear the siren, it's very exciting. Ooh, I'm in Israel, now I made Aliyah. After that, you can just be like, oh God, the siren, that music is so loud, can't they pick another song? So, and certainly the Mutzah Shabbos, are we excited in counting down for Shabbos to end? Or would you like it to last a little bit longer? So if we have the right attitude, it's not just the the, the things of Shabbos, but the ros of the Shabbos, the essence of Shabbos. It's not only going to change our Shabbos, it would also change our Fridays and our lots of Shabbos as well. Okay, thank you everybody.